consumers can actually make a real change because you can communicate directly with your bank and you're like, this company can do this for this price and they offer me all of these features, why don't you? They don't want to lose their customers, so they're going to offer the feature. Welcome back to Pocket Money. I'm Mark. And I'm Sally. Today, we are talking about how our wallets and bank accounts are changing before our very eyes. We're talking about the bank of the future. (laughs) (laughs) We're already exposed to this in other facets of life. Uber and Airbnb, for example, have changed the way we get a cab or the way we travel. So it makes sense that new companies are also changing the way we spend our money and even how we protect ourselves with insurance and things like that. And it's not happening soon. It's well and truly already started. In Sweden, only 2% of transactions are made with cash. In the UK, it's 34%. And in Australia, we're just a little bit behind at under 40%. And also down under, apparently we're visiting the ATMs to withdraw cash less and less. In December 2018, we only visited the ATM 25 times per year in comparison to 45 in 2010. And also, one of our largest banks has just released a Tolkien-esque payments ring, so you don't even need your card or phone to make a payment. I like the sound of that. (laughs) One ring to rule them all. (laughs) (laughs) Technology is involved in all these different aspects of how we spend our money and how we even apply for financial products. For example, AI is now answering questions, some of the questions you might have about financial products, and it's even being used to help assess how risky you are when you apply for insurance. You can use apps to split your bill when you go to a restaurant. Uh, You can even use apps to automatically sift through all your devious transactions to find out where you're spending too much. Yeah, so to explore what the future of our money and banking will look like, we're going to be speaking to our very own in-house expert, Elizabeth Barry, the global fintech editor for Finder. We'll chat about why this wave of innovation is happening right now, what these companies are doing to shake up the way that we pay compared to, say, traditional banks, and what we can expect in the near future. But before we jump into our interview with Elizabeth, if you're enjoying the show so far, please leave us a review on iTunes, share an episode with a friend if you think they might enjoy it. And yeah, this will really help us reach more people and get more awesome guests on the show. Let's do it. Welcome, Liz. Thanks for joining us today, gal. Thanks for having me, guys. We're really excited to talk to you. We've got lots of questions about how this whole thing is basically impacting our wallets right now and also in the future. What's your big take on the industry right now? Well, the industry has been around for a long time. So fintech really kind of ramped up after the GFC. So if we think about that, that was 10 years ago. So people think of fintech as kind of this new thing and new innovations and things like that. And it is, but it's also been around for a long time. And During that time, it's kind of allowed financial institutions to get into the game as well as these new fintech companies. And it's also allowed certain industries within fintech to kind of mature. And it's also allowed governments to introduce lots of legislation and things like that. So we're really in a solid place in Australia and around the world for like lots of new products, lots of new services, lots of exciting things to happen. So much to look forward to. I know. And uh, with fintech, I think there's a lot of jargon thrown around, you know. Uh, Sometimes I'll be reading an article and I'm like, what? A unicorn? What's that? So we thought to kick off today's episode, we're going to walk you through a couple of the ABCs of fintech with the help of 
of Liz, our expert, yeah. and just yeah, run through a couple of the terms that we might be throwing around or that you might have read in some articles about some of these companies and the innovations they're doing. So right. let's kick it off. What is fintech, Liz? <laughs> <laughs> Why are we here? <laughs> well, fintech literally means financial technologies. In a broader sense, it kind of means financial products that are easier to access, cheaper, and you know more widely available to other sectors of, uh, of the community. An example of one of these fintechs would be neobanks, right? Yes. Uh, which I'm sure a lot of us have read about, especially uh, quite recently in Australia. So I guess the most common definition of that is that it's a, a bank, of course, which offers similar sorts of products as your traditional bank, you know, whether that's savings accounts, debit cards, but it's all via digital channels, primarily mobile, like through an app or something, without any physical bank branches. So I guess a recent example of that in Australia would be Zinja, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Zinja is a very exciting new uh, new neobank that's come out. Uh, yeah, definitely check them out. There's a there's a whole raft of new neobanks that are being uh, launched in Australia in 2019 and that have already been launched. And I mentioned unicorns before. <laughs> Can you walk us through that? Either the Harry Potter version or, or fintech. I'm happy for either way. <laughs> well, unicorns are called unicorns um, because they're a little bit rare in the fintech world. And it's because it's a private company that's been valued at over a billion dollars. We wow. unfortunately don't have any fintech unicorns in Australia currently at the yet. time of recording. Yes, yes. that's right. <laughs> yet. But when I was actually uh, looking around at some fintech unicorns, um, I actually found that when a company is valued at over $10 billion, they're actually called a decacorn. Wow. Yes. What the hell? <laughs> and if they're a valued decacorn. at over $100 billion, they're called a hectacorn. Wow. Yeah. So they really went with the corn motif. <laughs> yeah, I'm than... not entirely sure why they continued with that, but they really stuck to it. <laughs> <laughs> Another term that we might bring up during this conversation is the angel investor. And basically that is an early stage investor who invests in a startup in exchange for convertible debt or equity in the company. They have that angel title on there because, you know, any early stage startup needs someone to believe in them. They need someone to kind of swoop in and give them that cash injection to kind of like get their product and service off the ground. So they really are like an angel to them. And what about machine learning? So I'm not an expert in this space, but the basic concept of machine learning is that it's a form of artificial intelligence uh, in which the program is it's designed to learn on its own. Mm, creepy. <laughs> uh, next, we'll jump into the NPP, uh, otherwise known as the new payments platform. I'm sure a lot of you have probably heard about uh, that one from your banks or card issuers, but basically it's a payment infrastructure that offers almost instant uh, payments as well as data-rich payments. One example of a feature is that you can use a pay ID such as your phone number or email address when asking your mates to pay you back for coffee rather than typing out your BSB and account number and account name. So I guess it's just a new infrastructure that makes sending and receiving payments a little bit more convenient. Yeah, it's going to allow for a lot more sort of payment innovations down the road as well. So very exciting. The next definition that we, we probably should tackle is robo-advisor. We hear that all the time. So Liz, help us out. What is a robo-advisor? Mm, so a robo-advisor um, is basically an automated advice platform that offers financial services using algorithms. You'll find with these platforms, there's very, very little human interaction, but you'll still get financial advice from them. It's such a like Skynet Terminator <laughs> style, like, but it can help you. Yeah, yeah no, it's great. And there's a, there's a a lot of robo-advisors available in Australia, so you have a few options there. And to round us out, near-field communication, what is that? 
Yeah, so you might not have heard of it, but I'm guaranteeing that a lot of people have actually benefited from near-field communication, even if you don't know what it is, because it's basically the technology that allows you to make contactless payments with your debit cards, your credit cards, but also with your smartphone and even you know with wearables and smartwatches and things like that. So when you hover over a, a payment <laughs> terminal and your phone, you know, taps on it, that's near-field communication just coming alive and making the payment. <laughs> when you uh, smash a token ring. That's right. The, so it's right. not magic? <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately so not. so led astray. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, no. El, uh, what's his name? Elrond? <laughs> Did not have a hand in this technology. So what does the bank of the future look like at this point? Well, if we think about how we interact with our banks now, if you guys think about how you interact with your banks, I know I barely have the need to go into a bank branch. Like if I need something from my bank, I'll jump into online banking or I'll go into my smartphone. So that's basically because technology has evolved to a certain point to replace services that we used to have to go into a bank for. Like we had ATMs that allowed us to get cash without having to go into a branch. Now we have our smartphones that allow us to send money, receive money, you know, the new payments platform, we can now do that outside of bank hours. So the bank of the future is basically going to be whatever technology allows us to do that replaces bank services using technology. So there's already AI assistants that can talk you through the application of like a home loan and things like that. So we're already moving towards never having to actually have face-to-face interaction in a bank branch. So we may actually not need any bank branches in the future. It may all exist in a smartphone or in a platform online. What can the bank of the future do that the traditional bank can't do? Well, if you think about, you know, how much bank branches would cost and how much, you know, they would cost to maintain and you have to pay people to be in the bank branch and everything like that. And also about putting, you know, bank branches, say, in regional communities and things like that and making sure that people in, if we're talking about Australia and how widespread that is, people in regional Australia being able to actually do their banking. If we don't have the need for bank branches, banks will save money. So they'll actually be able to invest that money into more technology, but also they'll be able to offer their banking services to people that may not have had access to their banking branch or may have had to do all of their banking at a post office or something like that. They'll have access to a full suite of banking products wherever they are. So that's great news for people. So what does this mean for consumers and how is this changing, I guess, the way that we pay and also just manage our finances? FinTech has always been a little bit competitive around financial institutions and and the fintech companies themselves. There's been a, a general wave recently where financial institutions and the fintech companies have actually been working together, but there's still so many new products and so many new services becoming available and all of them are targeting businesses and consumers. If a platform isn't available right now to do what you want to do with your money, then it's probably going to be available soon. So the benefits are, you know, convenience and you're just going to be able to save money because the products are getting cheaper and everything like that. So it's just great for consumers. I feel like we're quite lucky because this is happening now, but it seems like in the last, you know, 100 years, we haven't seen that much innovation with money. But now all of a sudden it's happening. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I mean, we have seen innovation with money. It's just that recently technology has gotten a lot cheaper. You know, we have cloud services, so startups can get involved and start actually developing products and actually start a business much more cheaply than they could, you know, 20, 30 years ago. And like I said, technology is a lot cheaper. So if they actually want to develop a product or, you know, an app or something like that, it's a lot easier than it was even 10 years ago. So even though there have been developments with money, you know, I mentioned ATMs before and I mentioned, you know, phone banking and things like that. They have been being offered, but it was just over a much slower pace 
So we've seen the pace of evolution speed up a lot because of technology. And of course, everyone wants everything now, which means that they just push for these kind of awesome new technologies. Yeah, the competition has definitely helped a lot. And because we have such direct access to our financial service providers, like I can go out and tweet to my bank right now and be like, why aren't you offering this? And they'll, someone will have to respond to me. And consumers can actually make a real change because you can communicate directly with your bank. And you're like, this company can do this for this price and they offer me all of these features. Why don't you? They don't want to lose their customers, so they're going to offer the feature. I think that's what we saw with ComBank and Apple Pay, right? Mm, definitely. It was like every tweet that ComBank posted, yep. regardless of the topic, every response would be like, where's Apple Pay? Where's Apple Pay? And then only just recently, they finally partnered up. Yeah, exactly. And I think within the first week or two weeks or something like that, they signed, or I think it was the first month, actually, they signed up half a million Whoa. to Apple Pay. What do you think that customers want the most out of these technologies yeah like i'm a rampant fintech user (laughs) (laughs) i think that's the first time i've ever heard that phrase (laughs) yeah you can put it on my my byline Um, (laughs) um, but as i use more and more fintech products i just find that convenience is a huge factor and i feel like it would be like that for most people because as these new products and services become developed, you see a lot more automation and just, you know, if we look at something as simple as digital wallets and contactless payments, it's literally become, oh, you don't need to insert your card in the payment terminal, you can just tap it. Now you don't even need to take your card out of your wallet, you can just tap your smartphone. Now you don't even have to have your phone out and the digital wallet thing open because you can have a wearable and you can just move your hand around (laughs) the payment terminal. And other things are being automated as well, like, um, the management of your money in a budget. So the new near banks that are coming out now are using machine learning and AI to kind of look at how you're spending your money and send you notifications and alerts to be like, oh, hey, you have a bill coming up. You only have this much in your account. You should move some money over. Like that's at the level of convenience and just, you know, feeling like you're being taken care of without really needing to do anything. And obviously this raises the topic of a cashless society because I probably use it once or twice a week now. You know, I don't, I use my card for everything. So is the idea of a cashless society actually possible then if this is the way that all these innovations are going? It's a big question and it's, it's hard to answer because cash use is definitely down. It's decreasing all the time. I can't remember the last time I've actually needed to get money out of the ATM. ATM use is down. Everything's everything's down. Thank you. <laughs> the only thing that isn't down is actually card payments, which is just being increased. And, you know, as I mentioned, as convenience of the using these products goes up, like why would someone need to get out cash to pay things? But the RBA actually did a recent analysis of how we're spending cash. So there's about per person outstanding cash in Australia. But what they found is that the majority of cash transactions aren't used for legitimate purposes. So only about 35% are. So we're talking about things like people just sitting on their cash, like either keeping it at home for whatever reason or keeping it overseas or for the black economy. So for illegal transactions. Would fintech be able to replace all of the uses of cash? I don't know. Like we have things like cryptocurrencies that maybe used in nefarious dealings. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard to tell whether we'll ever get to that stage. I'm trying to think of the sorts of businesses that I usually would use cash and it's maybe like market stalls and stuff like Mm. that or very occasionally cafes, but even then like hardly ever. You've actually brought up a really interesting point about businesses. It's actually quite costly for businesses to get the 
payment terminals and to actually accept card payments. So unless that becomes cheaper, how is it going to become cost effective for a market store that only runs every Saturday to get a whole payment terminal? Yeah, so there are new services like um, Square Payments and things like that that are making it cheaper. But until it literally just becomes like not that expensive at all and also to accept the card payments so it doesn't eat into businesses' profits. Yeah, so basically there are some businesses that it's just prohibitively expensive for them to actually offer an alternative to cash. Yeah. Yeah. How have these traditional institutions and then in comparison to the startups both collided and then in some instances worked together? Yeah, so we've actually seen a lot of collaboration between financial institutions in Australia and fintech companies. I think kind of early on, Australia's financial institutions realised that these companies were coming out and they were offering really interesting, unique services and that when they offered different offerings to just partner with them or establish some sort of partnership. So we've seen some partnerships between the major banks and, say, business lenders. So say someone applies for a business loan at one of the major banks and they do not meet the eligibility criteria, they can then send them to one of these small business lenders and be like, okay, they may be able to approve you for a loan just because they have different lending standards and they have a different funding structure and things like that. So it's kind of filling market gaps through partnerships, which is really great. Yeah, because I was going to ask, what's the real difference for, for a consumer? Like, what do I really care mm, if like yeah. some startup is actually owned by NAB? But I guess it does come down to the services that they're able to provide, whether it's through that funding or those connections they have, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it's always good to know what kind of company you're you're dealing with. So, you know, if a fintech company is completely independent and doing things on their own, that's that's pretty cool. Like, I'd like to know about that. But if they have a partnership with a major bank, I think as much as the banks have been through the Royal Commission and everything like that, like, I think Australians still see security and stability with the financial institutions in Australia. So I think when they see, oh, we've partnered with NAB or Westpac or Combank or whoever, they're like, oh, okay, so even if this fintech goes under, I'll still have a little bit of security with this product or whatever. It was obviously really popular last year and the year before, but cryptocurrencies and and the underlying technologies, I mean, you're obviously no stranger to this, Liz. Uh, We had our whole (laughs) podcast about this, but how involved do you think these technologies are going to be in the way that we use and spend money in the future? Well, as we both know, the the underlying (laughs) technology of cryptocurrencies is blockchain. And we've actually seen a lot of banks in Australia experiment with blockchain. At the end of last year, ComBank released kind of like a a little bit of commentary about some opportunities it sees with blockchain technology to create what it calls smart money. So it actually had some interesting examples. One of them was uh, for budgeting. So, you know, say you wanted to set up a budget so the blockchain could be like, okay, you've sent a certain amount of payments here and then it could send you a notification or something like that to be like you're about to blow your budget. Another one could be like pocket money. Through blockchain technology, parents can make sure that children are spending their pocket money on correct things that they want them to be spending on, (laughs) which is really interesting. But another kind of more, I think, more interesting one is donations to charities. So you can make sure through blockchain that your payments are actually making it to the charity and it's to the charity that you want it to make it to. Oh, that's cool. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. So it is very interesting. Where does Australia sit in the global fintech space? Like, are we relatively advanced or what do we have to do to catch up if we're not? We're such a small market. We're very tiny. (laughs) You look at us, we only have a handful of, say, peer-to-peer lenders in Australia. And then if you look over to the UK, you cannot count the amount of peer-to-peer lenders they have in that country. Like, it's hundreds. (laughs) It's also uh, because 
fintech had started evolving at a much more rapid rate in the UK and the US right after the GFC, just out of necessity. In Australia, we didn't feel the GFC as hard, so it wasn't really a necessity thing. It was just kind of like an opportunity thing for fintech companies to kind of get in, offer new services and and things like that. But if we look at a country like China, we're just so far behind, like so, so far behind. They're developing amazing, amazing products and services um, through their massive technology companies. And if you look at the amount of people that are using them, it's like they have users of like 800 million plus. So it's just... (laughs) Yeah, but it's like Australia's never going to get to that. We don't have that many people. <laughs> so in comparison, we're, we're smaller, but we're doing pretty well. <laughs> what, in your opinion, are the biggest things happening in fintech in 2019? The biggest thing is definitely open banking. I think that's just going to change the landscape completely. Like data is such a huge asset that the banks hold it's seen as an asset because it's just this huge thing that helps them make decisions about their own customers but really that data belongs to you the customer so you should decide what is to be done with it so if you want to direct that data to be sent to a company to analyze to see where your shortfalls are in your budget or to find the best home loan for you or something like that you should be able to do that because that's your financial data the bank doesn't own that data you should so these laws are really just going to be great for fintech companies to develop new products develop new services open banking has already started in the uk and they've seen some really interesting developments so it's interesting though if you kind of ask someone in the uk about open banking like an average consumer they might not actually know what it is but they might be aware of some of the apps and platforms that are using open banking and that might be benefiting from. So they'll be like, oh, I don't know what open banking is, but check out this cool app. All I have to do is do this. And then they can tell me this and you'll be like, that's open banking. And it means that we're potentially going to get some more competitive and maybe even dynamic products, right? Because it will be down to our data. So hopefully... Yeah, that means some some fancy, shiny new products are coming our way. Yeah, exactly. Get very excited for that. <laughs> Hopefully more rings. <laughs> I'm going to come in next time and have 10 payment rings on <laughs> for 10 different transaction accounts and just be swiping away. Be so like spirit fingers. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder which one it would take money from first. Oh, it'd be like a race. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Liz, you obviously cover all this uh, on, on Finder. So tell us where... Uh, listeners can find out more and get updated. Yeah, so just head to finder.com.au forward slash fintech. Um, We cover all the breaking fintech news, but we also do like hands-on reviews of fintech products. And if you want to request us to do a review of a fintech product, feel free to send it through to uh, fintech at finder.com.au and we will definitely do that. If we could leave our listeners with one final gem of wisdom or, you know, one key takeaway that we think that Aussie should really think about when looking to the future of fintech, what do you think that would be? I would say that whatever you think the future is, is probably happening right now. There's so many products and services that are available and they're they're just sitting there waiting for you and don't think you should be limited to your own bank or like I have like six transaction accounts <laughs> so <laughs> just to get the benefits of like all sort of different ones and you know you can test these products and if they're not right for you there'll be another one like don't think you have to be married to a product that you try out go and find what's out there like these businesses are just trying to help you manage your money better and trying to give you cheaper better faster products so you know you're doing yourself a disservice by not kind of seeing what's out there and seeing how you can benefit from fintech the future is here. <laughs> the future of banking. <laughs> Thanks so much, Liz. Thanks, Thanks Liz. Thanks, guys. <laughs>
Well, that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. As always, we'll post our show notes on finder.com.au slash podcast. You'll find all the links to the articles and guides that we mentioned in this episode. Uh, And as always, please subscribe. We're also on Spotify, so you can follow us there. And feel free to share this episode with a friend or if you have any questions or feedback, uh, you can leave us a review as well. Thanks for listening to Pocket Money from Finder. Head over to finder.com.au slash podcast for the show notes for this episode. The Finder podcast is intended to provide you with tips, tools, and strategies that will help you make better decisions. Although we're licensed and authorized, we don't provide financial advice. So please consider your own situation or get advice before making any decisions based on anything in our show. Thanks for listening. Uh, <laughs> That's why every time I throw this, I'm like... <laughs>